Welcome to Your Highness Podcast, a show where we get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncover areas of cannabis where accessibility and inclusiveness are lacking, and elevate conversations about ways to affect real change in this space with a specific focus on folks who identify as women. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Crash, and I am joined once again by the amazing Tiffany Watkins of Vanguard Media Online. How are you doing today, Tiffany? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm always excited to talk to you. Even if I don't sound like I'm excited because I'm so tired, I promise I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to begin this episode as we do every episode with our fave pot, fave not pot segment. Uh, But this time I'm going to switch the the order that I normally do. And I'm going to have you start with your fave, uh, your fave pot. Tiffany, what's your what's your fave pot right now? Ooh, you are mixing it up. Okay, my fave, <laughs> my fave pot um, actually is a uh, right now a CBD and CBG topical that I'm absolutely in love with. Um, it's by uh, also by the Old West Company in Washington, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful blend of botanicals and uh, CBD. And a lovely uh, cream that uh, helps ease my neck and back from, you know, always looking at the computer screen. So I'm always thankful for it at the end of the day. So I love it. Absolutely love it. Awesome. I love CBG. I just started using a tincture. Um, I I need to move into the topicals for CBG because I'm really (laughs) excited about that. Um, I don't normally pick out strains as my fave pot, but I got a bunch of flowers for Mother's Day <laughs> uh, to try, <laughs> and uh, one of them was blue coral, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's 28% THCA, which is pretty cool. I love THCA, um, and it was just a really nice strain. I thought it was pretty Pretty nice. I'm not really one to go like too deep into that. I just really like the strain. <laughs> so uh, what's your fave not pot? Ooh, fave not pot is, um, okay, so this is really funny because it's, it is kind of, it's a, mm, just a little bit pot, but not. Yeah. Um, and it is a book called Smokescreen. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I'm just getting into it. What the marijuana industry doesn't want you to know. It's by Kevin Sabet, PhD. And I am really uh, looking forward to diving into it. So I know it's going to quickly become my intense fave. But mm-hmm. it's right now at the, you know, it's at the beginning of the fave list because I just got the I just got the book. So excited to check it out. I, I'm going to I just wrote that down. I'm going to check it out. It sounds scandalous. I'm kidding. <laughs> I need a new read, so (laughs) that sounds about right. Uh, (laughs) um, So my fave not pot is the Real World Season 1 reunion. Um, For those who don't know about Real World or who think that it's only about people like getting drunk and hooking up, (laughs) 
<laughs> 30 years ago or 29 years ago, they kept making it a, a point to say 29, but I mean, let's just round up 30 years ago. It was pretty revolutionary to have this uh, reality show air with people from different parts of the world who didn't know that they existed, you know, and it was like, um, and it kind of sounds cliche and I was kind of hesitant about going back and watching it because everybody's rebooting right now, but it was very relevant. And I think that they did it at the exact right moment because clearly, you know, they're trying to meet the, the moment about what's going on with social justice. But, um, more to the point, they were showing how conversations can change people and, and how people, how much people can change in 30 years and also how people, some people can stay completely the same, you know? Um, there was one scene, the penultimate scene, because it was just a short little reboot. It was like six episodes or something like that. Um, and one of the white women roommates in the 30 years ago, she was, they were having a, a heated discussion about race. And this woman was saying, you know, I recognize there's racism in the world, blah, 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 but I don't think I'm racist. And so her black roommates were explaining to her, like why she still has racist tendencies. And she just wasn't hearing it. Like she just was like, I understand other people are, but I, I'm not. And so um, 30 years later, they're having almost the same conversation. And she says that she can't be racist because she's taking an African dancing class or something like that. And like, they told her that she speaks the same language or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was the gist of that. Like basically she can't be a racist. Um, and so this interaction, the whole show really made me think of your response to audience members commenting on a recent panel in which you were involved. Um, much like that episode, you were seeing people claim that they didn't know racism was bad, um, despite being in an industry that is built on racism. Do you want to talk about that incident a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, look, I, a lot of people find it very, very assaulting and very, very, um, aggressive to think in the ideas of being racist or acknowledging racism. So I give everyone, um, you know, just, I, I, I acknowledge that it is a difficult topic. I acknowledge that your feelings may be strong. Mm -hmm. However, especially in the cannabis space that we, that, you know, that typically that's what I'm in and around, um, being that the space and the regulations and the guidelines and the laws have always been built from a system of racism, um, we have to acknowledge that racism exists. And so when people approach the subject and say, well, I didn't know this was going on, or that's not really affecting me, or that's not how I think of things. And I have to stop them right there and say, regardless of your thoughts and your interactions, you have to first acknowledge that there are people being oppressed by a system designed to oppress them. If your answers back to me are anything but yes, there, there is, yes, that exists, yes, you are correct, then a conversation needs to deepen. Simple as that, because it's in front of our faces all the time. And, but I do, again, I always, I stress this. I know that it's difficult for a person who is not black, say to understand mm -hmm. how a person who is black might be either hurt, oppressed by, or affected by something that's been said. Not everyone is a racist. And I get that. We all get that, but we all navigate a world that 
fosters bias. Mm-hmm. And that bias grows and grows until it becomes full-blown racism and racist acts. And I always like to put it back in our court and go, we control that process. So if we're unwilling to have this conversation now and we deny, deny, deny our idea of acknowledging or involvement in racism, then we're doomed for the after effect of what that bias that we have inherently within all of us turns into later on. Right. The responsibility starts now. Let's have the conversation. Let's blow it open and go, you might not be racist, but I'm sure you've acted in a biased sense. You have some maybe preconceived notions as to what another person is, does, has, mm-hmm. based on the color of their skin or where you think they came from. These are all things that feed racism. So we have to be careful when we speak about, especially if we're going to say something as strong as, well, I didn't really know that existed or right. I'm racist. You know, you have to think long and hard to understand if you've ever really acted in that way. Does that necessarily label you? No, but it does put you on a pathway that says that some that, that there's a tendency for you to lean to one side or the other. And that is important. Yeah. And I think I wasn't specific enough. She wasn't, they weren't calling her a racist. They weren't like, you know, attacking her in any way. They were saying, you're conditioned. We are all conditioned mm-hmm. under this system. Um to act certain ways and we all need to unlearn these behaviors and that is just truth you know and whether or not you want to um accept the fact that you have acted in racist ways in your past because you have we all have um <laughs> the truth remains that you know we all have different lived experiences and if somebody's telling you this isn't how it is and you haven't gone through it then you need to step back and listen um and so going back to the show again, uh, Becky escalates the situation. Becky's the white woman who's like, there's no way I'm a racist, right? Um, <laughs> so she leaves the show and the producers, of course, are, are pushing Kevin Powell, who is a black man and an activist. That that's the other part of it, that he does a lot of work that like, that's why it was kind of even more tense at the moment, because he's like, you're, you're, you're just negating everything that I do. You're just, you know, anyway, um, So he's very emotional and understandably, and he says that black people are tired of educating the public about racism. He goes further and he says that white people should recommend books about the topic that we find useful to fellow white people as often as possible. Um, I don't do this enough because before he said that, I thought it was being performative. Uh, Anyway, I'm going to recommend one book for everyone to read with the assumption you only have time to read one book for the remainder of the year, because I I know I probably do. Um, (laughs) I would say that this book should be mandatory reading in high schools everywhere in this country. Uh, It's called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo, and she breaks down every topic that you think is taboo surrounding race. And she's like, look, I know this is a thing, but this is why it's a thing. You know, I know and I'm not explaining it really well, but you know, I think she breaks down a lot of the roadblocks that people have mentally when it comes to discussing racial issues, I think. And I know I literally just touched on how we white people need to stop relying on BIPOC for education, but I feel like it would be rude not to ask for your suggestion for one book that everyone should read. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to give a, a suggestion <laughs> of a book for someone to read. 
Um, but I really want to kind of address for a second sure. um, the that where his point of view of tired of educating the public. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what that comes across as, um, and and I get it. It's what I hear in that statement is frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I hear in that statement is hitting a wall and not thinking that your education is changing anything or doing anything. But I think as Black people, we have to take a step back and go, if we mm-hmm. don't take an active stance. If mm-hmm. we're not actively participating in changing the narrative of what people think when we enter a space, then we're doing ourselves a disservice and that it is a hard road. It's a difficult road. We know what our ancestors went through. We know what our um, our years in the last 50 years of life, you know, I won't go back any further than that uh, because that does not include me. I was not alive then. Um, but we, we know what that looks like. And then we look at what we have today and we know that we have to take an active participation in changing the narrative of what's thought about us, um, and what we do and what we have and what we know, and we need to help foster the education because there are people out there who do want to know, and it's better to get the, the, the solid view from the people who live the experience than what the view is of what people think it's like to live the black experience. Mm-hmm. So I think that we do have a bit of responsibility there to ourselves. I'll be clear that responsibility is to ourselves to make sure that the narrative is what we want it to be, not a responsibility to anyone to enlighten their lives. Because there are people out there who really want to know, and I'd like to curate that experience for them um, so that they're getting good and uh, accurate information. Um, when it comes to books, you know, right now I'm flipping through, I, I, I've been flipping through it back and forth. It's a, a bit of a reference. It's a bit of a, um, a book that uh, brings me back down to earth and it's called um, Medical Apartheid. Mm. And um, it's by Harriet Washington. And it is, um, it's a bit of a, it's a story tell. It is a, a reference guide. It, sh- it tells the, the ugly story of what's been historically done to black people in a medical sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when it comes down to our base needs, um, health is <laughs> health, healthcare, wellness. Those are, um, so raw for many people in our country. And I think that knowing how a section of people have been treated, mistreated, I should, I should say, have been mistreated by a medical care system that's supposed to be designed to be trusted and a foster wellness. Um, I think it just really, um, it really speaks to that and is informative. So I would definitely recommend a medical, medical apartheid by Harriet Washington. I'm going to look into that. Um, that sounds fascinating. So like you said, you are doing so much to curate um, information that is necessary that people need to know, and you're continuing uncomfortable yet necessary and productive conversations in the cannabis space. Um, Do you think there are any differences with how these conversations are being run in cannabis as opposed to other industries? Um, I think I think if there's any difference at all, it might be that it's a little bit more raw, a little bit more unfiltered with cannabis. Um, because in the cannabis space, we can afford to do so. Um, cannabis is the cannabis industry is built off of activism, direct activism from the people making change, and change that we we both benefit from and kind of fight against. Fight against. Um, so I think that cannabis provides us a space where we can be a little bit more open about our views um, than maybe any other industry. 
for sure. I think so too, because even with you talking about the medical apartheid, I, I find it so refreshing that in this space, we have um, actual physicians who are speaking out against these issues, you know, because you don't really see that in other industries, uh, talking about, you know, health inequity and uh, all the other things that come along with the healthcare industry and how broken the system is. Um, so I think that that also is like an added bonus that I'm seeing recently. Mm-hmm. So what topics specifically do you think are under underrepresented in cannabis conversations? Um, I would say equity, um, and not in the sense of the social equity programs that were, that are, you know, being erected across the country. I mean, just within our communities of cannabis, um, at the local level, whatever state and municipality you're in, mm-hmm. um, that I think that the, the most underrepresented, um, groups are going to be women and persons of, of color. And I think that the, the conversations, um, are pointing towards, women right now and definitely towards people of color but we need to know that it's not just charged by recent events and the fact that we are coming through you know a time together that we call pandemic here um but you know for sure i would say that there's so much more to unpack so much more to try and build a pathway and strategy to healing that it's definitely an underrepresented conversation so do you have any events or anything else that you would like to promote? Um, I do. I do. Thank you so much for offering me uh, your platform to speak about this. Vanguard um, Media Online is doing its first Woman of the Year um, award ceremony. And uh, we've tied it with a second event uh, that we're having here in just about two months. Um, and so the nominations, however, sadly, have closed uh, as of uh, midnight uh, you know, last night, this morning, whatever you want to call it. Um, but voting is now going to be open within by, by the end of the week. And it'll be a huge announcement and be links all over the website. But now you can vote for all the wonderful women who have been nominated. We've got a great list of women. Um, you can cast your vote at www.vanguardmediaonline.com and listen for updates on Instagram vanguard media vanguard underscore media underscore online i'll be going live and saying a little bit and there'll be a lot of posts and information um this is directly tied into our 710 event hello 710 july 10th it's a saturday we're going to be honoring and having some fun with oil manufacturers and talking about dabbing and just having a good old time some sessions some networking some speakers and it's really really great you can find this event two places one on our website at vanguardmediaonline.com but also if you happen by the event high website you can search the event by vanguard or 710 dab day celebration get your ticket and definitely join us for a really awesome time absolutely and i think we'll be uh your highness will be there representing so uh, this podcast. And um, I think that this is going to be an amazing event. I'm so excited. So I'm going to just read one quote quickly before we end uh, from the book, since I said, since I mentioned it, uh, because I think it's relevant to what we were just talking about. So this is a quote from, so you think, so you want to talk about race is what it's called. 
I know that the issue of racism and racial oppression seems huge, and it is huge, but it is not insurmountable. When we look at it in its entirety, it seems like too much, but understand that the system is invested in you seeing it that way. The truth is we all pull levers of this white supremacist system every day. The way we vote, where we spend our money, what we do and do not call out, these are all pieces of the system. We cannot talk our way out of a racially oppressive system. We can talk our way into understanding and we can then use that understanding. So I think that you're really helping with that <laughs> message right there, um, helping continue these conversations. And thank you for joining me to do that today, Tiffany. Um, I can't appre I can't talk about how I appreciate you enough without sounding like a little bit of a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it. And thank you very much. I, I always enjoy my conversations with you. Thank you so much for the support that you provide for Vanguard. We absolutely adore you. I adore you. Um, until next time, stay high and beautiful. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Your Highness Podcast or on Twitter at Highness Podcast. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe. Fruit slabs are the tastiest, most discreet edible in America. Fruit slabs are crafted with organic fruits and infused with high-quality cannabis extracts. Naturally delicious, carefully dosed, and safely delivered, fruit slabs are compatible with nearly every diet and almost all dietary restrictions. Available with THC in California and Washington and nationwide with CBD.